630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Powerful forces are colliding. Extreme weather opens June 2nd in IMAX at the TELUS World of Science Edmonton. Follow everyday heroes in this incredible film. Tickets at TELUSWorldOfScienceEdmonton.ca. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Our first guest tonight won the Grey Cup nine times. Five times as a coach of your Edmonton Eskimos, two more as a general manager, two more as president and CEO of the team. One of the most storied men in our city's sporting history. On June 12th at the Windspear Centre, he will be inducted into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'm pleased to welcome to Inside Sports, Hugh Campbell. Hugh, thanks for making time for us. How are you doing? Great, uh, Reed. It's good to uh, hear your voice and uh, talk to old friends. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show. Congratulations on uh, on getting into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that as we move along tonight. But first, uh, let fans in Edmonton and, and area know, uh, well, what are you up to these days? Where are you hanging your hat, and, and how's life in general? Well, uh, when I retired from the Eskimos, I, uh, we had a condo there in Edmonton and we had planned to uh, be coming back there more and then our kids ended up spreading out across the country a ways and we have one in Ottawa and and uh, one in Calgary and one out in near Vancouver so we're uh, we're now we spend some time going to those places but we also have a place in uh, San Diego where we spend the winters and then we've had our cabin since long before even i ever went to edmonton we have a family cabin in northern idaho oh nice okay well you get to see uh parts of both countries then you, you mentioned the kids you mentioned the one in ottawa uh who's <laughs> obviously uh had a pretty good season uh last year J- just what was it like uh for you watching rick you know his success with the Red Blacks, and then that amazing run they went, and one of the greatest Grey Cups of all time. Must have been pretty thrilling for you to watch all that. Well, it really was a thrill for us and a, a fun deal. We, um, when he he was a, such a good uh, defensive coach and special teams coach, I was happy with him being there with less uh, stress and doing all that. But he he got a chance for a, a few. Um, jobs and um to be honest i'm not sure i would have chosen an expansion job i think that was an awesome challenge but he sure ran with it and did really well and we we were uh, really thrilled at how they did each year the they were very competitive the first year even though they only won a couple games and then uh since then they've been a team that uh, they can win any game and lose any game and that's pretty much typical of the CFL. So he's done a good job, and they built a good ball club there with the staff there, and uh, his assistant coaches are really good ones. 
I mean, obviously Rick has crafted his own career. Did you guys talk about coaching still? Or, or, I mean, did you ever sort of when you were just hanging out sort of as father and son, did you ever go down that path? Or how did the uh, the coaching dialogue go between the two of you? Well, he grew up in that, uh, as did our daughter Molly, who works for the Stampeders. They grew up with football all around them, and they chose to... Uh, to stay in that field we have two other kids that chose to get out of it they were probably the smart ones but, <laughs> but um, it's all you know it's it's neat if they I just have always said even to to uh, young players that I was coaching that you're lucky to have something that you really enjoy doing that can also furnish you with a meal ticket so they they've latched onto that and uh, Rick has always had a knack even uh, his high school coach would tell you that when he played in high school he had a, a feel for the game he understood it and uh, made good decisions as a player and then uh, he's had a wonderful background coaching at the university of oregon and then later uh, there in edmonton for a while before going uh, kind of away from there to uh, get out on his own, and and we're real proud of what he's accomplished. Uh, he's done it the, the way I did it, and that's uh, counting on uh, the people around you to do the job they're supposed to do, and uh, the leadership uh, that Rick has demonstrated has been really good. Well, Hugh, I'm glad you you transitioned into how you did it because you know over the over the years I've had the pleasure of talking to several of your former players from that great run from 1977 to 1982 when you were the coach of the Eskimos and uh, you know you're able to win five championships in a row. I, I remember one of your players said, you know, you had a rule, and and me, I'm curious to see how you remember it, but. Your rule was, you're all adults, so act like adults. I'm not going to give you a lot of rules and tell you how to act. I, I expect that you can figure that out on your own and, and follow the example of the veterans. Is that how you remember treating your players? And if so, where did that well, yeah. come from? I, I would word it a little differently, Reed, but but that is the way. My, my deal was you... I can't make a rule for everything that might happen. You know, you'd have a thousand rules, and then they'd say, well, you never said we couldn't jump off a building with our clothes off or something. Right. So <laughs> you, you, you had that. My, my one rule was uh, don't do anything that in the opinion of the head coach or would be detrimental to the team. So they knew that it was how I felt, not how they felt, you know, and that way uh, and then I I stuck to it you know if um, there was uh, somebody got off course we tried our best to straighten it out but otherwise we just went on without them and we didn't have a lot of discipline problems because players knew that um, no one was bigger than the team and that we'd find somebody to replace them we wouldn't necessarily cut them the second an incident happened, but we would in, do it in the strongest way we could to help the football team by getting somebody out of there if they were uh, headed in a different direction than the rest of the players. I, I'm curious your recollection of something that happened during the 1982 season. You guys had won four championships in a row. The first half of the season didn't go that great. On Labor Day, you lost by 12 points to the Calgary Stampeders. 
and you were three and five. Now you didn't lose a game after that, but but after the Labor Day game, you weren't in the position you wanted. Um, do you remember what you said to your team and the message you tried to deliver? Well, there, yeah, there, there were. There's always excuses, but there were things going on in that season. We had five players that were pretty key players injured. One of them was Jim Germany, who never missed a blocking assignment protecting our quarterback and he was a a running back but what we said then we kind of did like davy crockett or something we drew we drew a line in the locker room and said uh i said i'm going to the gray cup and anybody else uh that wants to go i hope you'll come over here with me and everybody of course crossed the line and uh, we never lost another game that year and we had, um, you know, good players, but we also got some players off. We held Jim Germany out one extra game because we'd be playing on artificial turf, which in those days was unusual. And we made sure he was fully well. And so he didn't play against Calgary. And then the next week he came back and played. And uh, that really helped us along with uh, a lot of other players playing well, Brian Kelly, and and then we had some defensive guys down. So that team got stronger because of personnel, but also the attitude was that we could still make the playoffs. We weren't sure at all we could make first place, but by going undefeated, we did make first place. As a matter of fact, those were the last 10 games I coached in Edmonton, so I'm on a 10-game winning streak right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Still riding the winning streak. I, I love that. I love that story about saying, you know, I'm going to the cup. Who's with me? And obviously, the the whole team was on board. You know, how much of your job as a coach, Hugh, was X's and O's and game planning, as opposed to how much emphasis you put on, you know, team morale or culture or whatever you want to call it. Well, it's it's a it's a happy combination of all of that. We had. Um, we had the the, uh, the way that our sign with the short huddle in Canada, the short time, the 20-second huddle instead of 35 seconds or whatever it is in the States, we, we felt like guys would have to be coached to make decisions, not that they were coached what they would do every second, no matter what happened, but they were coached sort of a common sense of these are my options, this is what I got to do, and these are the circumstances, and try to teach them all to be aware of the time on the clock and the score on the scoreboard and what to do. So that I, where our coaching was a lot of uh, situation uh, and what ifs, and then the players felt this that they had the ability to make a decision on the football field, and they were they were given that power and they ran with it and enjoyed it. And, and rather than me saying you always do this in a specific situation. You're listening to Hugh Campbell, former Eskimos coach, GM, president, and CEO, going into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame on June 12th. More with Hugh when we get back. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Campbell 
Sobel joining us on Inside Sports tonight. Former Eskimos coach, general manager, president, CEO. He's going into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame. The induction is going to be on Monday, June 12th. All right, Hugh, let me ask you a bit of a, a non-sports question here. You, you obviously spent a good chunk of your uh, your adult life in Edmonton. You became a beloved figure in the city. Uh, you're not here as much anymore. What do you miss most about the City of Edmonton, Hugh? Well, the, I, I, the thing I appreciate about this, the city of Edmonton was that they understood the Eskimos. They got us. They knew, they understood what we were and what we meant and what why what decisions we would make and what they were based on. And so I felt like this, the fans were always a part of it. We had a terrific board of directors that uh, were um, very much... And involved in the the program of being, you know, of how the how the things were done, and it became people would say the Eskimo way, and it was a complete. We were involved in the city. We we um, our players did in many charitable pre, uh, time, events, and um, there were some signature events like. Um, One more for you. I mean, I mean, everybody knows you. You, and I mean, of course, you were a player before you you started coaching the Eskimos, and you had pretty much every uh, off-field uh, role with the Eskimos that you could have. What What do you miss most about being uh, day-to-day involved with a football team? Kind of a general question, but I'm curious what it is. Well, I, I don't want to be too corny, but it's the people, of course. The the uh, the dealing with people that are happy in their job and uh, that have like goals and, and standards and and could work well together so that I I missed that that um, but uh, it was definitely time for me to retire I, I'm not uh, I'm not missing that doing it now but I miss that as something that's been in the past and uh, but I'm I'm found out that there's other things going on in the world 
I was uh, very focused and dedicated towards uh, the Eskimo and the success of the team. And so, uh, I, you know, now I have time to do other things and think about other things. And I think that's, I've been blessed to have both sides of that. And I, I, it's fun to have had a job that I was totally involved in and that every decision that I made had to pass two tests. One is, is this liable to help us uh, win a football game? And the second is, will we have more or less attendance because of doing whatever it was? And those were the two tests that I tried to give to everything that we thought about doing, whether it was uh, the the type of cheerleaders we had, the type of equipment people, people we had, or the doctors that we had, whatever it was, we tried to put ourselves in the fans' uh, point of view. You know, what do they have to do to get a game? Do they ride the train, and then where do they do it when they get off, and what do they see first when they come in the stadium and all that? And that was, you know, what, what we were concerned about. And, um, and we went to a Grey Cup 17 times in the 31 years I was there, so more than half the time. So that was a good deal. Yeah, not bad indeed. Well, uh, I mean, uh, it's great to have you on the show, Hugh, and, and it's going to be cool when you're in Edmonton for the uh, for the ceremony coming up on, on, on June 12th. And uh, I think you're going to be at the game on June 11th, but I'll leave some of those details uh, to be announced here as we move along. Thank you so much for time for your time. I hope we can do this again someday. Reed, it was nice visiting with you, and thanks for the call. Awesome stuff. Hugh Campbell checking in tonight inside sports on 630. Ched, uh, could have gone on with him for a lot longer, but I appreciate him joining us for the first half hour of the show. I want to go over a couple of things he said there that really struck me, especially about his coaching philosophy. Remember, he was a coach of the Eskimos for six years. They went to the Grey Cup every year and won it five times. You, of course, can reach out 780-496-0063. You can text us 630-630, and that's City of Edmonton Hall of Fame induction that will feature Hugh Campbell Monday, June 12th at the Windspear Center. Still ahead, we'll talk to Kelly Rudy. We'll talk to the president of a football team. How's this for a unique approach? They let the fans call the plays. We'll find out how that happens. We'll keep you updated on the Blue Jays game as well. But Kelly Rudy is next to uh, break down game one, an interesting one. Penguins got the win despite going almost two-thirds of the game without a shot. That's up next, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30, Chet. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30, Chet. All right, so Mike Riley and the Eskimos continuing with training camp. You can get more on 630Ched.com. The a new look, 630Ched.com. Looks pretty cool if you want to check that out, and we'll talk uh, some Eskimos throughout the show tonight as well. We just had Eskimos legend Hugh Campbell on the show, now 76 years of age, coming up to Edmonton. Uh, he's going to be at the preseason game on June 11th against Calgary, June 12th. He goes into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, good to have you along for the ride. We are uh, preempted tomorrow for Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Final. 6 o'clock, Predators and Penguins. We'll talk to 
with Kelly Rudy about the series in a few minutes. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, back on Friday, Dave Campbell will fill in as I attend Def Leppard with Poison and Tesla opening. All right, so I was really interested with that Hugh Campbell interview, and you can text me at 630-630. This person simply says, great interview with Hugh. He was and still is the face of the Eskimos for me. Well, I don't don't know if there's anyone more um, synonymous with the Eskimos long-term than Hugh Campbell. I mean, Warren Moon, obviously uh, an exceptional run as a player. They've had a lot of great players over the years, but Hugh was there 77 to 82 as the coach, 86 to 97 as the GM, and then 98 to 06, he transitions into president and uh, and CEO. So an incredible legacy he left here in Edmonton. Really interesting conversation. Like I said, could have gone on with him for a long time. But a, a couple things really struck me from the interview, and I'm, and I'm always very interested in, in coaching philosophy and, and how you treat your players and what you do to try to get the team on side with, with what you want to do and and have them all in the right frame of mind. And he said, first of all, in terms of, of how he treated them, and, and I know a couple of players that, that played for Campbell have said, you know, he treated us like men. And he, and he said, you're all men, so make the decisions that, uh, that a man would make when he has to come to managing his life, balancing his, his football life with what he does uh, away from the field. And generally... You know, the Eskimos of that era didn't have curfews, didn't have bed checks, didn't have stuff like that. Uh, Hugh Campbell trusted them. He said, you're adults. Make the right decision so you can be prepared for practice, prepared to play. So he wasn't going to say, okay, everybody has to go to bed at 1030. If one guy could go to bed at 1030 and play well, good for him. If the other guy could go to eleven bed at eleven fifteen and play or, or whatever, I mean, he said, as he said in the interview, I realized I couldn't come up with a rule for every single situation, because if I could have a hundred rules, then there could be a one hundred and first situation where a player could come to me and say, "Well, coach, I didn't know what to do because you didn't have a rule for it." So he basically said, "Just don't do anything you know that I, as the coach, wouldn't approve of." And, and I, then I think that put a lot of responsibility on the veterans, too, to be good leaders and then for the uh, for the younger players to fall into line. So I found that very interesting. And I, I loved what he said as well, where he said, I, I didn't coach my players to be rigid in terms of this is how we run the play. And that's the only way we run the play. And if it's you're if you're a receiver and you're running a five yard out pattern, you run it five yards and you run it the same way every single time. I mean, I think there was obviously still certainly structure and 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 all that kind of stuff that you need. But he said most importantly, he coached his players to make decisions. And and I think that is that is so important to empower the players with the ability to feel like, all right, I know what the coach wants me to do. I know this is how, how it's supposed to be executed. But now I'm in a situation where I don't think that is going to work. And I trust myself and I trust that the coach is allowing me to maybe do something a little different because it's going to work better. So Hugh Campbell was able to walk that line with the team. And what a story from 1982. They're 3-5. and five. They're four-time defending Grey Cup champions. And look, if, if you weren't alive in, in that era... You know, and I, and I know maybe Hugh, maybe that that seems a, a distant for a lot of fans now, um, but I I mean I I'm old enough to remember it. The, the Eskimos were hated by everybody except Eskimos fans. They were absolutely despised. Well, why wouldn't they be? They they won every year. They were good every year. They had Warren Moon. They had great players. 
So the Eskimos were 3-5 and five after Labor Day. They just lost to Calgary. You, you all know the pain of losing the Labor Day game. It sucks to have Calgary be able to brag about that. And, I mean, 3-5, and five, I mean, even in a nine-team league, they, they were on track to make the playoffs. And you Campbell draws a line in the dressing room and says, I'm standing on this side of the line, and I'm going to the Grey Cup. Who's with me? And the, and the whole team was on board. Now, as he mentioned, the roster got better because they had some injured players coming back. But And, and something, too, a couple of players from that era have told me as well. He, he was very a very cerebral coach. He taught the players to see themselves as successes, to you know visualize, to do all the visual, visualization, making good plays, being successful. And it certainly translated into, a, I mean, the most successful period for any team in the history of the Canadian Football League. So Hugh Campbell, well-deserving, going into the City of Edmonton Hall of Fame. That's going to be on June 12th at the Windspear Centre. All right, Kelly Rudy, former NHL goaltender, analyst with the NHL on Rogers, joins us once a week here on Inside Sports. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Fantastic. Read yourself. Well, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm especially good because earlier on the show tonight, I got to interview a, an Edmonton sports legend, Hugh Campbell, which is pretty cool. That's that's a, a name off the list of someone I've always wanted to talk to. So uh, uh, I'm pretty thrilled. And, you know, I'm thinking, tell, I mean, you're a, you're a proud Edmontonian. You grew up here, and you would have been, I'm thinking, probably a teenager when Warren Moon and Hugh Campbell came to town and that dynasty really got rolling. Oh my, seriously, Reed, the, the memories I have right now, you're bringing up those names, and I go uh, before even uh, Hugh Campbell came to town, and by the way, he did a wonderful job, but I think of Ray Yock and the job he did, so I'm going back to guys like Tom uh, Wilkinson, um, Bruce Lemmerman. How about this story? So I grew up in the West End, as you remember, community called Elmwood, which is right up against Meadowlark. My mom used to work in Meadowlark Mall, so... They had a Simpson Sears store there, and Larry Highbaugh was going to have an autograph session at the Simpson Sears. My best buddy, Jeff Marshall, and I walked over there. I had one of those little miniature footballs, and <laughs> I, I was too darn shy to go up to Larry Highbaugh and get his signature, and I loved the guy. I loved how he played and everything. And, and I've always thought of that story, like, Kelly, he's there for an autograph session. Why couldn't you get the nerve up? But that's how shy I was growing up. And then you mentioned Warren Moon. I'm right now in downtown Pittsburgh uh, with my wife, Donna. We were dating at the time. And I remember we are in West Edmonton Mall. It might have, well, I'm sure it just had opened. And I think at the time, Warren Moon was the highest paid player in the CFL. And I thought it was somewhere around hundred grand which is still today a lot of money. But I remember saying to my wife, I go, hey, that's Warren Moon. He can buy anything he wants in this mall. And I thought that was like the most outrageous thing. And and my love for the Eskimos still continues. So Donna and I, she's originally from Saskatchewan. So we have a bet that uh, whenever the Eskies or Rough Riders are playing, Whoever, whichever team loses. So if the Eskimos lose, of course, I'd take her out for dinner and vice versa. So my love affair with the Eskimos and the CFL 
goes back to whenever I can remember. And still to this day, I'm a huge fan of the league. I think it's fantastic football. Well, man, that's great. That's that's an awesome story, and definitely from an era that uh, a lot of people remember uh, remember very well. So that that's really cool. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Of course, you mentioned you're you're in Pittsburgh for the Stanley Cup final game one last night. It was an interesting game, but before we break down some of those details, I have to ask you the uh, the catfish. <laughs> was thrown on the ice during the wow. game. You, you you played in a lot of NHL arenas, uh, some wilder than others. What's the strangest thing you ever uh, saw thrown on the ice? Well, I remember when the octopus first started getting thrown on the ice and Joe, Lo- Joe Lewis, but the one that grabbed my attention, and it's not like a an animal or a fish or anything, but do you recall in the early 90s my coach Tom Webster in Los Angeles? Yeah, for sure. He got he, yeah, he got a little crazy one night where excuse me, my allergies are bugging me, but he uh, he got a little crazy. We we're playing the Calgary Flames and he threw a whole bunch of hockey sticks on the ice. He got suspended for 12 games. So I'm watching this whole thing unfold and I'm thinking, what is my coach up to right here? <laughs> this isn't what you should be doing right here. And so Oh my God! He apologized to us, and it was uh, it was a really really big deal at that time. I don't know if any coach had ever thrown a whole bunch of sticks. Like if I recall correctly, he just threw like three sticks and then went back to the stick rack and, and grabbed a whole bunch more and kept throwing them out. He was so mad at Kerry Fraser that night, and I don't even recall the the score of the game or who won or anything. We were all just so flabbergasted that our coach lost his mind, and we loved Tom. I mean. He was a great coach for us. He made us play a lot of structure, but something happened, whether he's frustrated with us or Kerry or the Flames, and he went crazy. He went cup crazy, as they say. Right. Yeah, he's, maybe that's how they <laughs> gave up with the slogan. Yeah, you don't see an NHL coach uh, do a lot of throwing with the putting things on the ice anymore. And it's funny, too, Kelly, how many players from your era, because Rob Brown brings them up sometimes, too, how many yeah, players yeah. from your era mentioned Kerry Fraser as the center of an incident or something involving a referee. I don't know what it was with him, but... <laughs> hey, I loved him, though. He was one of my favorite, and Andy Van Helleman, and there are many others, but Kerry, to me, was one of the guys that really had the game under control, and I don't know if Rob Brown feels the same way, but because as a goaltender, you always had plenty of conversations with the referee right around the net uh, after uh, the whistle was blown and before the puck was dropped again. And I had some of my best conversations, nice, calm, relaxed. He put me in a really good frame of mind. And if I was ever getting wound up, the same with Andy Van Helman, they were really good at talking me down. And or I liked officials that if they made a mistake and I'd start to go ballistic on them, they'd say something really simple like, Kelly, have you ever let in a bad goal? I made a mistake. And then talk you off the cliff real quickly. And then you settle back in and just try and stop the puck. Yeah. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, so the Penguins take game one despite going 37 minutes without a shot. I mean, you would I think you would have a, a unique perspective as a goaltender. So Rene's there. Now, I know the puck was in his end, and he had to handle shoot-ins, and he had to be ready for shots, but he's not actually stopping a puck for that length of time. I mean, do you th- if that was you, are you peeking up at the shot clock and thinking like, I don't think they've had one for a while. I mean, look, you want yeah. the team to win, you want the puck on the other end of the ice, but does it reach a point where you're like, oh my God, this is getting strange? Absolutely. And you don't want your your head to get into it. You don't want your mind thinking about 
what's happening, and you're exactly right. Like, you are looking at the shot clock. Every goaltender will tell you that it's impossible not to. And so when you're stuck at eight since the uh, end of the first period and you're uh, with, what, four minutes left in the third, I mean, it's really frustrating. And I, I would not have wanted to be there. I talked to a bunch of former goaltenders about that situation. And uh, and we all said the same thing, that, that that's the most dreadful situation. None of us could recall a guy being in that situation either That uh, for 37 minutes. I started to get a little antsy if it was 8 or 10 minutes. I, I can't imagine what Rene was going through. And it doesn't matter that he's getting some touches and playing the puck and stuff. That, that is not stimulating anything about uh, stopping a puck or, or feeling good about yourself. You know, it's funny, Kelly, because after, obviously, the Oilers had a couple blowouts in the playoffs. One, they were on the wrong side of against San Jose. They, they come back and won the series, and, and Rob said it, and, and, you know, I talked about it with you and other ex-players, and a lot of guys said, you're almost better to get blown out because emotionally you know halfway through the second period it's over and you can already kind of start processing it and dump it in the trash can the minute you walk off the ice. So I'm wondering in your mind how Nashville perceives last night's game because it's heartbreaking to lose on a late goal. Having said that, there'd be a lot of positives for them. So I wonder how you anticipate uh, their reaction because tough to lose on a late goal, but can't you look at most of that game film and say, yep, we played how we wanted to play? Yeah, that's how I'd look at it. Lots of positives that uh, after falling behind 3 nothing. That's how well they played for the second and third period. And I would, if I'm the coaching staff, that's what I would reinforce in their thinking that, hey, you know what? It's not the result. And as uh, LaViolette said today many times, they hate the result, but they they don't hate the effort. And so I think that's uh, the way you approach it. Now, getting back to, I totally agree with Rob, and I've had that mindset for a while that you'd rather sometimes just get beat badly. Once, though. Not two in a row. Not right. seven nothing and five one. I mean, that really plans to see the doubt. But uh, nonetheless, I really expect, regardless of who wins next game tomorrow, I think we're going to just see a lot better hockey game. That was not a very entertaining game. I don't want to run run the product down, but that was more like a mid January game where both sides were kind of not really mentally involved in it, and so I expect a much better game tomorrow okay now what do you think caused that the, the layoff between series the i mean the offside delay where you're standing there for four four and a half minutes waiting for a review the teams not having played each other much in the regular season well, what do you think might have caused that or was it just an off night i think it was more just an off night i don't think that to the what happened in the first period i don't really think set the tone for the latter part of the game i just think that the guys uh kind of weren't mentally ready and they were hoping that it was just going to sort of come naturally and they weren't pushing themselves hard enough. I mean, there's no question. Uh, Mike Sullivan talked about that today about his team. I mean, they just, they did not compete very hard. They didn't win any battles. And to me, that's just the mindset. All right. Well, it's going to be fun for uh, game two tomorrow night. We'll see uh, if any other uh, aquatic animals get thrown on the ice, Kelly. Looking forward to it. <laughs> okay, Reed, see you, bud. Kelly Rudy checking in from Pittsburgh, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, what is the uh, strangest thing you've ever seen thrown onto the ice at a hockey game? Any level. I got a story from Junior B when we get back. Inside Sports on Chad.
this is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oiler, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Shad. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Jeremy from Glendon texted in. So we had Kelly Rudy. Uh, we had the catfish thrown on the ice last night in Pittsburgh. Kelly Rudy had the story about one of his former Kings coaches, Tom Webster, throwing a bunch of sticks on the ice when he got mad at Kerry Fraser. Jeremy from Glendon says, Reed, I was refing a peewee game. A kid got hit in the head. I thought the coach was coming on the ice to check up on the kid, but instead he picked up the kid's stick and threw it sidearm at my head. My goodness. That is dangerous. Uh, I just remember this. I, as, as you guys know, I worked in, in Lloyd Minster for several years, so you cover a lot of stuff. There was a, the Northeast Alberta Junior B League is the uh, Junior B League that I covered. And for a couple of years, there was a pretty heated rivalry between the Lloyd Minster Bandits, coached by uh, Kent Staniforth, and the St. Paul Canadians, coached by Al Bremner, and featuring a young man by the name of Mark Letestu on the roster for a couple of years. So... Uh, you know, all the t- all the communities are generally within a couple hours of each other, so you'd get a lot of fans of the visiting team at games. And it was a playoff game. Oh, and guess what? There was a line brawl right at the end. I, I can't re- I can't remember who won the game. Uh, but even in the league final, it was uh, and if it was not uncommon in a junior B game for there for there to be a line brawl near at or near the end of the game. So a lot of St. Paul fans had brought pots and or pans and then something to strike the potter pan with to make as much noise as possible. Um, so in the uh, outrage of the blind brawl at the end of the game, several wooden spoons and pots and pans wound up on the ice at the Lloydminster Civic Center. That just always struck me as odd because I would have expected maybe if, if people got mad while, say, watching the taping of a cooking show, they would throw pots and pans uh, on, onto the stage. I didn't expect that to be uh, on a hockey game. So anyway, me being, uh, you know, uh, you know, single and getting into cooking at, at the time, I snuck onto the ice and took several of those kitchen appliances, kitchen items home, and I still cook with them today. You washed so them before you. you used them, though, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Fair yeah. game. Fair game. Uh, how about uh, the uh, moose parts uh, being thrown on the ice in Saskatchewan? Yeah, there is. Uh, I can't remember the team, but they do throw. Uh, is it a moose leg on the ice? I think is that an, an SJHL team? I think that sounds right. You can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We appreciate you tuning in tonight. We have the Blue Jays, who are up to 24-27 and 27 on the season, leading the Reds 4-3. That one is in the bottom of the sixth. We have a uh, home run by Jose Bautista, his 10th of the season. A home run by Russell Martin, his 5th of the season. And a home run by Josh Donaldson, his 3rd of the season. Jay Happ pitched four innings, allowed three hits, two runs, walked three, and struck out three. He did allow a couple of home runs, but the Blue Jays are up 4-3 on the Reds. As we check the Crystal Glass scoreboard, for all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. So we'll talk a little more hockey, a little more Eskimos in the next hour of the show. I uh, also will welcome Paul Sir to the show, Executive Director of Basketball Alberta. They got a big event coming up at the Savile Centre this weekend. He'll give us the lowdown on that. And I'm really excited at 7.30 tonight, Tom Carter is going to join us. I don't expect you to know that name, but I do think you might be interested in the story. He's the president of the Salt Lake Screaming Eagles, a team in the Indoor Football League 
that lets fans call the plays. That's right. Probably something many of you have dreamed of doing or thought you could do a better job of than the coaches. Well, we'll tell you how you can do it for the Salt Lake Streaming Eagles. All ahead, Inside Sports on 630 Chad. 630 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.